Yes, sir. It is out of one and only Mark Lower Dub Dub to those who celebrate. And we're back for another episode of 32 and 32. Today we're talking Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. And I don't wanna it's it's, it's been a quality summer. Me and Trevor was talking prior to we got on, and it's been a quality summer. Let's let's try to keep the episode not so somber when we're talking about the Bucks this time. Of course, we got my. We're joined by my guy Trevor Sycamore, Pro Football Focus. How you feeling today, Trev? I'm great, man. It's always good to talk some ball with you. It's great to be back on the podcast. And you're right. We'll keep it. We'll keep it light. We'll keep it fun. Even though uh, I'm not so sure the Bucks are going to have the best year, but we'll dig into that. I'm sure. Of course, man. As I start everywhere with every team, first question I have to ask you is, what went wrong, man? And I mean, this question. It's particularly fond in my heart because I had to like when I looked at the Bucks, I, I particularly looked at them through my Eagles lens, and mm-hmm. of course, you know that was the team who came out in the first round playoffs a couple years ago. But when I took a step back and just looked at it as a football fan, you could kind of see the glimpses of what was to come, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Like right after the Eagles game, they hit Rams and. While the Rams were the eventual Super Bowl champions, you could kind of see the cracks in the creases of the team right there. And then fast forward to this past season where everything just came full circle, for lack of a better term. But what happened, man? Yeah, man. It's there. A lot of people like to try to point the finger at one thing, but it really was is everything. And often in football, it's not just one thing that fails. It's a lot of different things to kind of compile. Uh, first and foremost, I don't, they just weren't as healthy as they had been in the past, you know, especially on the offensive line, you know, going into the season, Ali Marpet, their all pro offensive guard, he kind of retired. Um, surprisingly, Alex Kappa, their right guard left in free agency. And then um, Ryan Jensen had what basically was season ending knee injury in training camp. And so all of a sudden you get to a point where, that Super Bowl caliber offensive line, three of those players are gone. And I think a lot of changes and inconsistencies came from what they were able to do up front. And Tom Brady, uh, for as great as he still has been in his 40s, as a 44-year-old man, he didn't want to get hit. And he knew that he was going to get hit from that offensive line with all those injuries there. So he wasn't holding on to the ball as long as he needed to. And I don't think Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, was – certainly happy about that, but I also don't think that he was willing to deviate from the original plan of kind of holding on to the ball a little bit longer because a, a Byron Leftwich offense is pretty much a Bruce Arians offense. And these are, you got to hold on to the ball. It's very vertical. You got to wait for the receivers to get downfield. And the offensive line was so hurt and Brady didn't want to get hit to the point where he was just getting out the ball out of his hands too quick. So there was just never any, kind of consistency on the offense and it was just felt like it was one thing after another avalanching or snowballing I should say to a disaster of an offense and I know they won the division last year they snuck into the playoffs but everybody knows that wasn't a real playoff caliber team that was going to threaten for anything like an NFC championship or a Super Bowl berth and so honestly I, I just feel like they were bit from the injury bug 
Brady just did not want to hold on to the ball as long as he needed to. And then I think the continuity between him and Leftwich, and then even some of the blunders that Todd Bowles had as a first-time head coach again, not the first time that he's ever been a head coach, but him becoming that head coach again, uh, he kind of went through a lot of growing pains when it came to decision-making in the red zone and on fourth down and on those kinds of situations, timeouts as well. So I just feel like it was a lot of stuff. It just was not going the Bucks' way, and that's why you saw them finish with the record they did. So I was looking into the Bucks earlier today, kind of just doing my homework for the podcast, and I came across what was said. I think it said the Bucks had $74.3 million in dead cap this season, and it reminded me of a quote from Jason Light earlier in the offseason where he said this was part of the plan going back to 2020 when he signed, when you guys signed Tom Brady. And he said that at some point we're going to have to pay our bills, for lack of a better term. And, of course, when you look at it in hindsight, it's easy to judge. But given the, the circumstances that this team won one Super Bowl in three years and given how they, like I said a second ago, so we started to see the cracks early, mm-hmm. was it the right decision to run it back? I think it was. I, I and and I think you have to kind of come to that conclusion of giving this all the chances that that you can have. You know, anytime that you win a Super Bowl, you know the investment's worth it, right? The Los Angeles Rams are going through the same thing right now, where they're looking at their current roster and that team that won them a Super Bowl two years ago. I mean, the depth chart now is a shell of what that team was. And they've got all sorts of dead cap, and we know that they haven't had first round draft picks, and it's kind of the bill came due essentially, like you said, and it came due for the Los Angeles Rams and it came due for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. But, you know, I think that a lot of people look at those situations where you have a lot of dead cap one year and you go, man, was it worth it? Even if you didn't win a Super Bowl, not to say that every decision is going to be perfect, but taking that chance is necessary. You know, I, I feel like some fans will tell you, and I would agree with them being in purgatory as a team, if you will, is the worst place to be. You don't want to be this team that's hovering around nine to 10 wins every year, because then you don't get a good draft pick and you don't make it far into the playoffs, the best teams. And I think the ones that get to the point where they put together rosters that can compete for championships are the ones that kind of ride the wave a little bit. You realize, hey, we're in a winning window here. We drafted really well. We signed some really great free agents, and we're going for that Super Bowl. But when those two, three, four years are up, because that's normally how long a winning window can be, you got to pay what's due, and you got to kind of be bad. You got to eat your vegetables, if you will, and you got to take that dead cap. And um, I think the Bucks are just in that part of the process. And so – it was absolutely worth it. They were able to win a Super Bowl, and I think that anytime that's the case, you have to say it was worth it. But even if they didn't win the Super Bowl, I felt like this was the right chance to take with Tom Brady and the guys that they brought back and, and all that stuff. So uh, I just feel like everybody kind of looks at the bad dead cap years and says, oh, man, this is going to be a tough pill to swallow. But it's kind of just the way that things are. You got to be able to ride that wave. Hmm. 
So I think I seen Stephen Sam talking about this the other day, but it kind of it's funny how you put it like this because it sounds like I got your answer to the question they asked. But it was basically I think someone asked them, "Would you rather be a franchise that was successful for the next ten years, let's say, but you weren't sure if you were going to ever win a ring, or you were a team who you won a ring but you weren't really good for the next five to seven years, but you got that ring and you know exactly the path that you want?" So. I guess I definitely see where you're going with that. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a Tampa sports fan, and that's all the Buccaneers have ever been, right? <laughs> you've got that you've got that one uh, era with John Gruden and and Tony Dungy where they won the Super Bowl, and then every year since has been terrible. And then all of a sudden they sign Tom Brady and they win a Super Bowl, and now they're going to be terrible again. So that's the only life I've ever known. So I got to pick that one in the Super Bowl to come with. <laughs> understandable man so into the firing of Byron Leftwich man you, you touched on it a bit but how do we I guess for lack of a better term how do we get to this point we're talking about a guy who not even a year ago when we talk about where we were a year ago in this mm-hmm. cycle he was a guy who was probably the lead candidate to be in Jacksonville early and fast forward in time and you see he's jobless for lack of a better term right uh, he so, is yeah right how, how do we get here i you know it is pretty crazy how we go from one end of the spectrum to the other because you're right i think that there was a time when he was the front runner in jacksonville and i had kind of heard rumors of why it fell apart you know maybe he wanted to have a little too much control over the roster and some of the coaches that were being brought in and you know, the general manager of the front office, I believe it was still Trent Balky, was like, oh, mm-hmm. hold on. We, don't, we, we still want this to be a partnership. We don't want it to be a dictatorship. And so I think that that's a little bit of why that fell through. But then this past year, yeah, it felt like it was worst case scenario for him. Without Bruce Arians there next to him to help him with those game plans and everything, it just felt like he couldn't put together the right plan. And I mentioned how easy things looked when they had all their guys and they were all healthy, right? Think about that, that, that Super Bowl winning season. You got Brady, of course, but you got an offensive line who was basically fully healthy the entire year. I think if one of those starting five missed a game, it was like one or two games. It wasn't very much. So you have a great offensive line in front of you. You got a motivated veteran out of the backfield in Leonard Fournette. You got Rob Gronkowski coming back after a year rest, and his body was great. You got Mike Evans. You got Chris Godwin. You got great receivers in the depth as well. And you got a defense coached by Todd Bowles, who didn't have to worry about anything else other than just coaching defense, which is his area of expertise. When things were working really well, Leftwich was able to be a good play caller because it felt like a lot of what he was calling was just going to work because of how talented the team was and how good Tom Brady was. But when things started to not be perfect like they were last year, Leftwich just couldn't adjust. Like he didn't, he didn't know how to get away from the tried and true, this is an Arians offense, this is what we always do. There was nothing for him to go to, or at least it certainly didn't seem like there was anything for him to go to once the injuries on the offensive line happened. It just felt like when they tried to involve quick game, like they they, they weren't able to, to execute it the way they needed to. And it just, like I said, it just felt like it all fell apart for him. And I think that, yeah, you know, he, he, 
gets out of Tampa Bay now. And it's crazy to think that he was one of the most sought after head coaches last cycle. And here he is, we're going to enter the season and he's not going to be anywhere. I don't think. Yeah, man. It's pretty mind blowing actually how fast all this moves. It kind of segues into the next question perfectly. I guess many people can, can, you can consider it. I mean, he had his flaws as you just spoke about what he went through this season. But many could, people could consider it as him being scapegoated, for lack of a better term, this offseason. And now, everything now falls back on Todd Bowles, who, I mean, like you said, he isn't a first-time head coach, but he's back his first time in a very long time. And even when you think about his years with the Jets, I mean, they were never really a bad team, mm-hmm. but they weren't, they weren't where you needed to be to call yourself contenders, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And it seems like he's destined to be back in that point soon. Would you consider him to be on the hot seat, for lack of a better term? I think he's definitely on this hot seat. And and I think that he has to be because when you go back to the talk of setting up winning windows, you mentioned how much dead cap the Bucks have this year. You know, in the years that follow, especially, you know, 2024 and 2025, they're hoping they don't have a lot. You know, they're also probably going to say goodbye to some veteran guys coming up soon. Levante David is somebody who obviously comes to mind as a guy who um, is probably not going to be playing football too much longer. Uh, Ryan Jensen is probably going to be the same way with him, right? So there's some veterans that are there that you're going to have to turn the page from at some point. And what they hope is that over the next couple of years, they're able to do that. Get some higher draft picks, really nail the draft like like. Um, Jason Light has done before get the cap space healthy to where you could bring in some new veterans and then kind of slingshot yourself out of that lull and then back into a winning window and it's a big year for Todd Bowles because this is the one year where you can't really have any reservations if they're on the fence about him at all after this upcoming season you're probably going to lean towards moving on from him because it, it, you don't want to waste time, if you will, because if if you're just on the fence with him, right, then he goes into the next season on the hot seat, and you don't want that. So I think the timing of where they are at certainly makes it tough for Bulls to not be on the hot seat. Now, I, I am somebody who I firmly believe it's really hard to expect greatness out of a head coach just two years in. Right. I mean, last year was his first year as a head coach. Uh, some people thought he should have been fired. I don't know. I think that for as much as I think that he struggles and for as much as I feel like I'm getting to the conclusion that Todd Bowles just might be a really damn good defense coordinator and not a head coach. I even felt like you can't probably, you can't really fire him after one season, but this season, if they don't perform at least well to expectations, and you've got to be able to move on from him because as much as he would only be a head coach for two years, he's been in Tampa with these guys for much longer than that. And I think that that comes into the the equation as well. So uh, last year, I felt like it really would have been too early to get rid of him, even though maybe it might have been the, r- the right move uh, when it was all said and done. But this year, there's no doubt about it because how important 2024 and 2025 are going to be to set up Tampa's next winning window you got to know you got the right guy at head coach. And so they've got to figure that out this year. So I guess that kind of, based on what I just said about Todd Bowles, kind of brings me to my next point. 
today I seen the draft odds, and it said that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the best odds currently to have the number one pick in the draft. <sighs> Yet, what we just said about Todd Bowles and him, I mean, all his team's been pretty, I mean, like we said last year, they snuck into the playoffs with mm-hmm. a nine-win team. They're known to be pretty good, just not contenderish good. Has the demise of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers been greatly exaggerated? I think so. You know, as much as I love Caleb Williams from USC, and if they get the number one overall pick, then they're going to get Caleb Williams. (laughs) As much as I think that that would be uh, a lot of fun for me personally, I don't think the Bucs are in contention for the number one overall pick. Like, in order to have a number one overall pick, you're talking about winning two, three, games like you know like you know there's going to be a team out there that only wins two or three games for as much as I think the Bucs are going to take a step back I cannot picture them winning less than four or five games truly so I think this is a team that could still be picking in the top 10 maybe even around the top five uh, depending on the win losses of the rest of the teams in the league how even it is but to get that number one overall pick, I feel like history tells us it, it's two wins, it's three wins, and I, I just can't see Tampa being that bad. This team is still really talented. The division is still totally up in the air so that you know they're at least going to get a couple of division games in there that they're going to win. I think this is probably I think this is probably like a 6-7 win team. I'd probably lean a little bit more towards seven. And, and if you're winning seven games – you're, you're nowhere close to the number one overall pick. So that's kind of where I have them, and that's what I think about that. So yesterday, it was actually my birthday. Happy birthday, me. Oh, damn. Happy birthday, dude. Happy belated. Appreciate you, brother. But yesterday, the Buccaneers released, or re-released, we should say, the creamsicles. Oh, if man... As a football fan in general, and, and particularly as an Eagles fan, an Eagles fan who's getting almost very impatient for them to release these Kelly Greens, mm-hmm. I, I can understand the fun and the nostalgia behind it. And I know you can't wait to see them take on the Lions in those uniforms. In the same breath, I mean, how we just said a second ago about how there were some draft odds about the Bucks potentially having the first pick in the draft. We understand Tom Brady and trying to replace him. Does it not make you feel bad a little that they wanted to bring him back or they couldn't bring him back when the team was at least good? I, I wanted when, when Gronkowski and Brady were still there, I wanted to see them in those creamsicle uniforms. Yes. I wanted that. Uh, I wanted that very bad for the people of Tampa and the legacy of the Buccaneers. But uh, I don't know if you noticed this or your listeners noticed this, but they are still selling tom brady 12 creamsicle jerseys <laughs> because uh they know that money talks and that brady still sells jerseys so uh obviously they're still profiting off of that but yes i do wish that we would have gotten a chance to see brady in that beautiful creamsicle jersey well as we said man the retirement of tom brady and we're, we're kind of on to a new era like we said at the top we're going to keep things positive about the bucks today <laughs> into a new era comes the hiring of dave canales Mm-hmm. Guy spent 13 years on the Seattle staff, formerly the wide receiver coach, quarterback coach, and passing game coordinator from Seattle. There have been, there's always been the plus that you can take. If you're a fan, like some Eagles fans out here, 
you first thing you would hear or see is, well, his quarterbacks have been to the Pro Bowl in each of the last six seasons. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to take that into account, there's Russell Wilson with five of them, and then Geno Smith. Okay, we but who's counting? But then you take the downside of the fact that Canales has never called plays at a professional level. And when he spoke, well, when I looked at his intro, uh, intro interview, he was saying all the right things about how he's there for player development and how his offense or his, his offense basically is going to translate to what his quarterbacks do best and things of that nature. What do you expect from him as a guy who – never been a play caller in this league, especially given the fact that that's probably going to be his job with the head coach being a defensive guy. I'm really excited for him. I I am. And again, I think that he's coming into a really nice situation where there's not a ton of expectations, right? I feel like if Canales would have come in, say, last year and and would have been able to coach with Brady, who knows? Maybe he's going to be this genius play caller and it would have worked out. But there was so much pressure just on the whole team overall last year that I would have felt bad for a guy who might be a really promising play caller and a really great offensive mind that those accomplishments get clouded because of the pressure that you're into right off the bat this year. Of course, like the quarterback positions a little unknown, but you got great receivers to throw to, right? I mean, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans is one of the best duos in the NFL. You got a young running back and Rashad White, who you're eager to hand the ball off to, eager to get him involved in the passing game. There's just a lot of exciting pieces for him to kind of craft an offense around. And look, if... If he fails, if he goes through some gr- growing pains as a, as a play caller, not that he's going to take it lightly, but you mentioned it. This is a team that some people are talking about having the number one overall pick. So expectations are not super high. What you're hoping is that just by the time the season gets over, you know, the last, I would say, four or five weeks in the season, this guy's really in a rhythm. Like he understands the ebbs and flows of play calling and making a game plan and understanding what your quarterback strengths are. And that's really all I'm kind of looking to see from Canales in his first year. It's going to be interesting because if the team does not play well and Todd Bowles is out, does Canales stay or is whoever's going to come in? Is he going to bring in their whole new coaching staff and things like that? So it'll be interesting to see how long he's going to be there But it's cool that he's getting this opportunity. And I honestly think that Tampa is a pretty good place to get it. Low expectations. Um, You've got a former number one overall pick at quarterback. You can try to kind of continue to let him be a gunslinger and yet keep those turnover worthy plays down. And you got some great offensive weapons to dial it up in the passing game, just like he had in Seattle with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and those guys. So um, I am excited to see whatever year one's going to be as a play caller for Canales. See, I'm excited for it, and I definitely – my next question would definitely feature exactly what we think the offense will look like. But I spent time looking at some Seattle. And, of course, saying that he was a former wide receivers coach and then post-passing games coordinator recently, I couldn't help but see or notice comparatively to what he said from what I've seen in Seattle. Again, how he said he's big on player development. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than – what you can't, I'm going to cater my offense to you. It kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the Seattle receiving core where a guy like Tyler Lockett was able to showcase not only what he was able to do in the short area, but as a deep threat as well. A guy like who DK, who 
I, I make this running joke every time when I talk about DK, where DK hasn't really progressed much since he got into the league, but DK's also been asked to do exactly what he's been good at, and right, he's really right. good at it. So can you yep. get mad at it? So like no, and, and I, I yeah, I, I and I agree with you, man. I think that the parallels between Seattle and Tampa's receiving core is there. That's why I'm expecting a really big year from Chris Godwin. You know, last year it was the Sure, he was healthy enough with his knee to play, but if you ask any athlete who has gone through a major knee injury, they'll often tell you it's almost a full year after I'm physically medically cleared that I can actually be mentally cleared to be mm-hmm. free and trust that new knee and trust that in, that that injury is behind me. So I think Godwin's going to have a huge year because I think they're going to use him all over like they use Tyler Lockett. But yeah, the, the the similarities, the parallels are definitely there with them. So we haven't talked about the quarterback situation yet, which is interesting. Like I said, I, I, the next question would be, what exactly do you think the offense will look like? And it's interesting because given the retirement of Tom Brady and even despite the, the depth and the quality at wide receiver, I like to think the team has you got Russell Gage coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to think that there's going to be a step back from a team that ranked number one in terms of past attempts per game last year to this year. So who do you think the quarterback will be and what do you expect the offense to look like? I think it's going to be Baker. I think the, the the team from everything that I heard within the building, they were really excited to sign Baker. Um, he's a, you know, even though Bruce Arians is not the head coach anymore, he's still a, I, I can't remember like a, a senior administrative analyst or something. He's basically the right hand man to Jason light when it comes <laughs> to the connection to the coaching staff. So, you know, that he has a big input on the guys that are going to be brought in and kind of what things are going to look like. And so, I just feel as though Baker's fiery personality really lines up to Arians and probably what the Bucks are going to want. Kyle Trask is more of like a uh, quiet, you know, reserved kind of a quarterback, and which is fine. I'm not saying like that's a bad thing, but I just feel as though Baker is aligned so much more with who Arians is and what Arians looks like or looks for, especially from the quarterback position when it comes to his personality. So I do think that Baker is going to be the one who wins that job. And I think the offense is going to stay aggressive when it comes to the passing game. I think they're going to still really try to push the ball down the field with Baker. Cause I think that's where he's at his best, but the run pass ratio I think is going to be different, right? We we've, we've seen that in Seattle where almost to a fault, sometimes they have tried to remain balanced almost like 50, 50. And when I say balance, true balance in the NFL is not, we run the ball the same amount of times we pass the ball. True balance is whatever ratio of run to pass gets the most out of your team. Whatever number of rushing attempts you need to truly complement your passing game, that's balance to you. And I think that that's going to be a journey for the Buccaneers to figure that out, right? No Leonard Fournette anymore. It's a Rashad White show in the backfield. It's obviously Baker Mayfield coming in to play quarterback. And that's the way I see things right now. I still think it's going to be aggressive because I think they're going to look at Baker Mayfield's tape and say, hey, this guy's at his best when he's playing backyard football. You know, he's not 
he's not at his best when we're trying to ask him to dink and dunk and West Coast offense his way up the field with, you know, 12 methodical passes in a row. That's just not who Baker Mayfield is. It's never really been who he has been. So I think it's going to be a vertical passing offense paired with uh, however Rashad White is going to complement that the best. So speaking of Rashad White, and you mentioned the release of Leonard Fournette playoff Lenny. Mm-hmm. You have a guy who kind of burst on scene to end the season, and he spoke earlier. He just mentioned about how the team hasn't had a thousand yard rusher in almost a decade, and he wants to be that guy, for lack of a better term. So, do you see workhorse in Rashad White? I know the team recently signed Chase Edmonds, who mm-hmm. I expect to be kind of his third down back with the guy who spells him on the pass catching situations when they're not going his direction. But do you believe that Rashad could be a workhorse? You know, when, when I say workhorse, I don't think he's getting like the Derrick Henry treatment, right? I mean, like, I don't think he's getting like 300 attempts, but you also go back to Seattle in the last, let's just say five years for them when Canales was there they saw what Kenneth Walker was able to do and they just kept feeding him the ball because they understood what he was able to give them in the run game when he was out there and he was healthy. The same thing can be said with Marshawn Lynch, right? And it was basically a situation where we're going to feed you these carries for as much as you can handle, as long as your efficiency stays up. So I obviously, I don't think that we're going to get to Derrick Henry levels of 300 carries in a season. But I do certainly think they're going to lean on Rashad White. And as long as he is giving them a good return on investment and is efficiently running the football, they're not going to be afraid to continue to go to him. I think that Keyshawn Vaughn and Chase Edmonds are certainly going to be involved in the rotation. But just like was the case in Seattle, they were basically like, all right, we're going to hand you the football. And for as long as you're still going to be good, we're going to keep doing it. And we're going to find what that fine line is between, okay, this is too much. We can't be giving you 25 carries a game, but we can give you 18 or we can't give you 18, but we can give you 12. That's kind of going to be a little bit of a journey here because for as much as I am excited about Rashad white, it was last year. The good from him was in flashes. It wasn't in this full-time feature role for a, for a full season. So that's just a question that they're going to have to find the answer to this year. Well, in order for them to find the answer, they're going to have to get better play from the offensive line. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the plethora of injuries, not to mention the retirement of Ali Market. Mm-hmm. But um, I was going through the outlook of the offensive line earlier, and I mean, of course, as much has been talked about of the team moving Tristan Wirfs from right tackle over to the left. Um, there was a guy they took last year – I think his name is Luke Goddick, mm-hmm. who they, I believe that they're very high on. I think they they he slated to come in and start as the right tackle this year, replacing Worth on that side. Now you got the return of Ryan Jensen, who, as you stated earlier, if you're looking at this outlook in terms of this year, it's quality center, good, and not to mention his backup got quality reps just in case anything happens to him. But when you look at the outlook three, four years down the line, you have to expect that he'd be looking to be replaced soon. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the recently signed Matt Feeler. He signed a one-year deal. I think you can kind of expect what that, what that comes with. Again, right. a suitable player. And there's my guy, 
of course, you guys know how much I love my Cody March and how high I was on him during draft season, man. I'm glad that the team, who I, I always said whoever selected him, while I do think he had and has quality reps at tackle, can play, he was better suited to play guard, which looks like he's going to slide in that guard in Tampa Bay. What's the outlook of this offensive line in your eyes, man? And more importantly, how does this unit specifically help fix a team that ranked dead last in rushing? I think there's reason to be hopeful, but it it is going to be an offensive line who they're all going to be playing together for the first time, right? Filer and Cody Mock are brand new to the team, so they've never played with any of these guys. Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs have played together, but that was – three years ago uh, at this point when Ryan Jensen was healthy and Tristan Wirfs was just a rookie. And then you've got Luke Gedeke who has played on the interior over the last year. Now they're sticking him out at right tackle. So there's just a lot of changes. And, and I know that you know this and your listeners know this, but offensive line play is all about chemistry. It's all about getting reps together. And that's really hard to do in just one training camp. You know, a lot of the best offensive lines have had at least four out of the five guys there for a while. And that's just not really the case with Tampa. They've had so many moving parts. And I think you could look at these guys and say, all right, Filer's a good veteran guy. Cody Mock, like you said, fun rookie. You know, I think that he could uh, be a lot of fun in the NFL and be pretty good. Gedeke, all right, this versatile guy. Now he could come in at right tackle. So Tristan Wirfs can move over to left. Like all that's good stuff, but it's going to take time. And I think that's the important thing to remember is, is that it's going to take time. Now is the rest of the offense going to be able to pick it up for them while they sort of figure it out. And that's the biggest question mark on whether or not this team is going to get some early wins this season, or if they're going to come later in the year. So one more question. Well, two more questions for you. I'm obligated to get a, a prediction out of you before I let you go. But typically when you think, of top NFL defenses today. Most people would say Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco. Probably someone I'm missing in that bunch. But for the most part, those are the guys you look at at the top. And when you look at a Buccaneers unit that ranked pretty highly in some years, like top 10 in, the, in terms of yards allowed per game and third down conversions. But then you take a look at the fact that they were ranked 30th in terms of the red zone percentage, at least points allowed in the red zone. And you try to figure out exactly for a coach like Todd Bowles, who typically runs a disciplined defensive unit, where exactly does this group rank in terms of the NFL's elites? Well... I don't think I can put them up in that conversation. And I think the biggest, the biggest question mark for Tampa on the defensive side of things is the guys up front. And there's a lot of notable names. Like they drafted Kalija Kansi. They still have Vita Vea. Shaq Barrett's coming back from his injury. Joe Tryon Shoyinka could have a big time breakout year. They drafted Logan Hall the year before. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys on that defensive line who are notable names, but They've got to get after the quarterback. And and it's a lot of younger players who are still developing. And I don't know how much they're going to be able to lean on him. Like, I don't know how healthy Shaq Barrett's going to be right off the bat. Can Dro try on Shoyinka really take that next step as a big-time pass rusher? You know, is Vita Vea going to be that player who we saw two years ago? Because last year, he kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, I like Yaya Diaby as well, who they drafted there. Pat O'Connor is a decent uh, backup player who's versatile for them, play a lot of different spots. 
So I mentioned I, there's there's all these different guys, but what's the core group of I would say four to six of those defensive linemen that you can rely on to play on first and ten, second and long, third and short, and you know they're going to be able to hold the point of attack, but especially get after the quarterback because. Levante David and Devin White are still, I think, are going to be good in the middle. You know, you're, you're bringing back Anton Winfield Jr. You've got Carlton Davis. You got Jamel Dean. I love the addition of Ryan Neal. Like, they've got good Great players player. in the secondary and at the second level. Do they have enough to get after the quarterback the way that they're going to need to for that defense to be good? Because I'm not going to say that the defense is going to be elite, but I think they can be certainly a, a top 15 defense, maybe even hovering around the top 10 if those guys up front can get after the quarterback. But if they can't, all of a sudden you're probably talking about a team that's got a back half of the league defense, maybe somewhere in the low 20s. So the variance of, of how good this defense could be solely focuses on whether or not they've got the guys who can get after the quarterback up front. So with Antoine Winfield Jr., how much better do you think he can get? Because I seen like when I first scouted him coming out, I seen him mostly, especially how he operated in his time in Minnesota. He was majority of two high safety. I love league operated that role. But last year, I guess Mark partly to do the injury, as you said, he performed a lot and at a very good rate in the nickel position. So do you mm-hmm. think them bringing in Ryan Neal was kind of so he can, I don't want to say move there full time, but become more of a serviceable player at that spot that they can rely on and not have to move him back. So it's actually the opposite. And I, w- I was shocked too, because I'm with you. He played really well in the nickel. He played well as a nickel defender, but Todd Bowles actually said earlier this off season that they want Anton Winfield Jr. to play safety for them. They want him to be a free safety because they want Ryan Neal to play strong safety. So they want Antoine Winfield Jr. to be the guy back there during two high coverages. And when they go cover three or cover one, they want Antoine Winfield Jr. as that single high safety. So they the plan is for him to actually not play as much nickel, a spot where I agree with you. He actually played pretty well last year. But in terms of how much better he can get, I think he's one of the best young safeties in the game, and you could even take the word young away from that. I think that he's just straight up one of the best safeties in the game. I mean, he's so smart. The athleticism's there for him. He can read He can read coverages, and he can read how the quarterback is trying to attack them so, so well. And um, I think he's taken his lumps over the first couple of years of him being a starter, but I feel like he's already even experienced beyond his years at this point, and he's going to be one of the best safeties in the NFL as long as he's still healthy. Definitely agree with you at that point. So before I let you go, I'm obligated to get a prediction out of you, man. How good will the Bucks be? Will the Bucks win the South? How what, what's going on in Tampa this year? Should fans chill out some? <laughs> I I I don't think they're gonna win the South. I don't I don't necessarily say, oh, they're gonna finish last in the division. I think that I mean maybe they can, but I feel like any of the four teams in the division can at this point. But <laughs> It's hard for me to say that they would be division favorites with Derek Carr going to the Saints and for as well as an oiled machine as I think the Atlanta Falcons have the ability to be this year with some really nice additions on defense to go along with Desmond Ritter now being the starting quarterback. You got um, 
you got Bijan Robinson there as well. Kyle Pitts should have a better year. I ultimately think the Bucks are going to win around six to seven games. I'll say seven and ten because I think that roster is still really talented. But I, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be enough to get them over the 500 mark. So I'll say seven and ten. I feel like seven and ten will finish either second or third in the division. So that's kind of what I'm predicting for them right now. So you hear it here, Bucks fans. It's probably not Caleb Williams. Probably also not going to be Drake May. I've been hearing some quality things about Queen years lately. We'll see who else. Maybe Michael Penix Jr. sneaks into the first round. We'll see. But if you guys are going to get you a quarterback, it's probably not going to be the one you want right now. But I appreciate your time, Trevor, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on, brother. I appreciate it, Quill, man. Anytime. You know, it's always uh, always good to, to kind of chop it up with you. So I appreciate you having me on once again. Anytime, brother. To those, Wubba Lubba Thub Bell, to those who celebrate, and I'll see you next time on 32 and 32.